Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome along to this La Liga Lowdown podcast hosted by me, Yuri McTeer, and rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. This is our recap from the 23rd round of the 2019-20 La Liga season and we've got a lot of storylines to get to. We're going to start with Sunday's Bass Derby, one of two Bass Derbies from this weekend. On Sunday afternoon, Real Sociedad hosted Athletic Club and defeated them 2-1. This was an extra special match because it could be a preview of the Copa del Rey final. That's because the semi-finalists in the Copa del Rey are Real Sociedad and Mirandes, who'll play each other, and Atletico Club and Granada, who'll play each other. Definitely don't rule out Mirandes or Granada, but there's a good chance we could have a Bass Derby in the final, which would be something special. This weekend though, we had one in La Liga, so let's bring in our man in the Basque country, Dan Parry. Dan, Real Sociedad won 2-1 with goals from Porto. Then an equaliser from Iñaki Williams, and then the winner from Alexander Isak was a deserved victory for La Real. Yeah, I would say that La Real definitely deserved to win that game. It was kind of a strange game because it seemed as if both sides kind of had an eye on the Copa semi-finals. Um, even though obviously it's a derby and they want to win, but it didn't really seem like they were both fully invested. Both sides played slightly weaker, slightly weaker teams, especially especially Athletic, to be honest. Um, but yeah, La Real definitely deserved to win. They dominated the game, definitely more potent in attack. And in the second half, uh, they made better substitutions, or at least their substitutions in the form of uh, Alexander Isak had a bigger impact and basically won the game for them. Nyaki Williams scored for Athletic, but only after coming off the bench. He wasn't in the starting lineup. How weird did that look? It was very strange. It's the first time since 2018 that Nyaki Williams has not started a game. Yeah, very strange indeed. But this ties back into what we were saying before. Athletic, La Real, both teams definitely have an eye on the future. Have an eye on Wednesday in the Copa del Rey game. It was another great game from Alexander Isak. How has he taken San Sebastian by storm in recent weeks? Yeah, talk about taking your chance when the moment comes. Because to be honest, he didn't really have a look in until this whole uh, William Jose fiasco started with the whole Tottenham transfer. But... Since then, Isak has really, really taken taken the ball by the horn, as you might say. And he's been playing fantastically. He's a great asset for the side. 
he's strong, he links up well, but he's also a fox in the box. I've been quite amazed by uh, by the way he just seems to be in the right place at the right time in the box. And some of his finishes have been absolutely incredible as well. He's a looks to be a top, top player. And to be honest, I'm surprised Dortmund let him go based on what I've, what I've seen over the past month or so. Now, Dan, the big question, will we see this fixture again in the Copa del Rey final? Oh, Ewan, I really, really hope so. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I'm very excited and I would love, absolutely love to see an all-Bass Copper final. And even people I know around me are getting ahead of themselves and people are starting to look for plane tickets and train tickets and bus tickets to Sevilla. It would be an absolutely amazing, amazing thing for this region and for football in the Basque country if, if this could happen, if we could have an all-Basque final. I've got all my fingers and all my toes crossed and yeah, I really, really, really hope it happens. Thanks, Dan. We'll see if those cross fingers and toes pay off. For now, let's talk about the other Bass Derby of the weekend as Ibar went to Alaves on Friday night. I was there at the Estadio Mendizarosa and I'm really glad I went. As you'll know from my accent, I am Scottish and, well, this happened. Oliver Burke scored the second goal for Alaves, the one that would prove to be the winner in their 2-1 victory. In doing so, he became just the second Scottish player to ever score a goal in La Liga, following Steve Archibald, whose last La Liga goal came in 1987. He had the fans chanting his name, even if they maybe didn't quite get the pronunciation spot on, opting for chants of Burke, Burke. It was a special moment for Scottish La Liga fans like me, and of course, for Alaves, who absolutely dominated Ibar in the second half of their match. Lucas Perez got their other goal just 12 seconds into the second half and, well, Alaves never looked back, earning a huge three points. Not far from the Stadio Mendizorza is El Sadar, the stadium of Osasuna, and that's where Real Madrid were playing this weekend. They won 4-1 to remain top of the table, but Osasuna scored the first goal when Unai Garcia produced a perfectly placed header. Let's speak to Real Madrid fan and journalist Emily Wilson now. Emily, were you nervous when Osasuna went ahead? I'm not going to lie, I was actually pretty nervous when Osasuna scored their goal. After the loss in the Copa quarterfinals against Real Sociedad, a big concern was how Real Madrid were going to bounce back from losing their first game since October against Mallorca. Could they get back on track or were they going to let the loss weigh on their shoulders? It was a big question coming into the game. But when Osasuna started off really strong and tested Madrid's back line, you could see that dance team were playing slightly different and the hosts were without a doubt going to score sometime soon and really it only took them 14 minutes to put the ball past Thibaut Courtois so immediately that same concern came up how were they going to respond from this I thought Osasuna's momentum after the goal was going to grow but Madrid actually did a good job on shutting them down and they managed to turn some things around how impressive was this comeback with the goals from Isco, Sergio Ramos, Lucas Vazquez and Luka Jovic? Not many teams come from a goal down at Osasuna. 
The comeback was great, and in my opinion, it's a testament to the entire team's determination. Thanks to the depth of the club's roster, there are so many players with enough talent to make a difference in games like this one. So when things aren't going well, which is what happened in the first half of the game, management has the opportunity to make the appropriate adjustments and push for a win. The starting XI was not the most offensive lineup that Zidane could have had, and really it lacked any attacking presence for the first 30 minutes or so. But when the team finally started playing with more energy and determination, um, Zidane made the right adjustments at the right time to keep the flow going, bringing on attacking players that could pester Osasuna's defense and hopefully break them down over time. Bringing on Vinicius Jr., Lucas Vazquez, and Luka Jovic added much more movement to the game and really helped Madrid create the goal-scoring opportunities. And in the end, the subs were the ones to make the difference, like I said, which is exactly what they're coming on to the pitch to do, and they were successful. They scored the third and fourth goals, and without strong enough talent or even just talent with that kind of determination, I'm not sure the comeback would have been possible. Finally, Emily, how important was that goal for Luka Jovic only scored one other goal before that one on Sunday. It's a big relief for all Madridistas that Jovic scored another goal. Though it's only his second one so far this season in La Liga, this confidence should slowly be coming back to the Serbian. I mean, you've heard in the news about how he's been criticizing himself for his goal drought and reviewing old tapes from last season questioning his abilities. But that just means that he's extremely frustrated and therefore determined to get back to some top scoring rates. When he's on the pitch, too, he basically does everything right. Uh, He makes instinctive runs, has the right touches, but his shots just somehow don't go in the net. Though That's football and that's how it works sometimes. But when you're a striker, especially at one of the biggest clubs in the world, a goal drought like this is extremely daunting. Scoring in the match against Osasuna, though, especially the way he did, is extremely important for the future. And having Jovic in this form will help the team immensely in the future, especially if anything happens to Benzema. So it's uh, nice to see him get one in the back of the net and hopefully it continues. Thanks, Emily. So Real Madrid remained top of the table, three points ahead of Barcelona, who also won. They went away to Real Betis and it was a back and forth match, which they eventually won 3-2. First, Sergio Canales scored a penalty, then Frankie de Jong equalised for Barcelona, then Nabil Fakir put Betis back in front, then Sergio Busquets and Clement Longley scored a couple to put Barcelona ahead, and then the goal scorers Fakir and Longley both got sent off. It was dramatic from start to finish, but what matters most for Barcelona is that they got a win. For Kiki Setien, it's three points collected at his former club. Let's talk to our Barcelona man, Roman de Arquer now. Roman, what positives can Kiki Setien take from this match? I mean, I think it's uh, one of those games which helps to give uh, Barca that confidence they need. Um, Taking into account they were um, behind in the score a couple of times because Betis went up in front uh, with a penalty and then again Fekir managed to put them in front. But Barca kept fighting, they kept looking for their chances. They found that goal right before halftime which gave them an extra confidence. And overall they're going to gain a lot of confidence because of this. And let's not forget that before uh, we were talking about how Barca were really struggling when Valverde was a coach. They had really bad, bad away performances and only at the Camp Nou they seemed to maybe find a bit of their uh, comfort within the pitch. And now Barca are actually capable of uh, performing well away from home, which is really important. We saw it against Atleti Bilbao, especially that second half where Barca were pretty good. And today again, uh, they proved that away they can dominate games, they can win and they can uh, come back in such a difficult stadium as the Benito Villamarín. 
Once again, Messi didn't score, but he was so decisive, he delivered three assists. How did he perform overall? I mean, no matter who's the coach, Messi's gonna run the show. And even though he hasn't scored in three La Liga games, which might feel a bit weird taking into account Messi is used to scoring very often, he still provides end product a different way. And this time it was with assists, a hat-trick of assists. So uh, Messi was fundamental once again. And he gave two assists in the previous game in La Liga against Levante at the Camp Nou, even though he didn't score. So, I mean, Messi is always there, whether it's scoring, whether it's not scoring. It has to be said he created a couple of very good uh, opportunities, but Joel Robles was really inspired, made some great saves. Same thing happened with Atletico de Bilbao, where also Messi had... Uh, some really good chances, but Tunay Simon was just uh, impeccable. So it's really hard to score when the goalkeepers are at this high level. And Messi still uh, provides so much on the field. He was coming down in some occasions to build up from the midfield when Barca were struggling to find those spaces. But overall, he was he was you know generating uh, the opportunities for Barcelona, and um, he's always crucial. And we've seen this for years. So Messi once again, fantastic. This was a special game for Carles Alenia against his former club, the club he's on loan at Real Betis from. He played another 90 minutes after also doing so against Ibar. He seems to be gaining Ruby's trust, right? It's great to see Carrasalena getting that confidence for a manager. I mean, at Barcelona, you know, it isn't easy with such uh, important players ahead of you. He did get his chances, but not as regularly as he would have liked. And now he's getting that opportunity finally. And the moment in these last few games is, you know, he's played uh, very consistently against Barcelona uh, at Benito Villamarín. He created some very good opportunities. He worked really hard in that midfield, trying to recover, trying to pressure uh, Barca players. And as I said before, he generated some chances, which uh, almost ended up in, in really good uh, Betis uh, opportunities. So he needed this. I mean, Alenia needs this, this confidence from the manager. He needs to play games and, and hopefully this will allow him to develop into a much better player. And his future is really bright, to be honest. He looks like a, he can become a fantastic player. Thanks, Roman. So that's all we've got time for in part one. But we'll be right back after this short break to go through the other main storylines from Match Day 23. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown podcast where we're recapping and analysing match day 23. We've already discussed leaders Real Madrid, but let's talk now about the other teams from the capital and their matches on a Madrid-centric Saturday. First up, Leganes went away to Levante high on confidence after their last-minute winner against Real Sociedad the previous weekend, but they couldn't keep the momentum going. They were quite comfortably beaten by Levante at the Estadio Ciutat de Valencia. Levante won 2-0 and both those goals came inside the opening half hour. That's a blow for Leganes, who now have a huge game at home to Real Betis next weekend. The other games on Saturday featuring Madrid teams were Atafi versus Valencia and Atletico versus Granada. La Liga lowdown Sam Leverage went to both of these games, dashing across the city after the first one. Let's speak to Sam now, and we'll start by talking about Atafi's mightily impressive 3-0 win over Valencia. Hitafi absolutely dominated Valencia. It was 22 shots to 5. Sam, how impressed were you with them? And how disappointed were you in Valencia? If there's one way to describe this game, it was one-way traffic. I mean, from the first whistle until the last, Hitafi were the only side that ever looked like winning it. I mean, it was strange in a way that they kind of dominated the first half more than they did the second. They were just more clinical in the second and really took their chances. But then you have to remember that Valencia were very poor. They never turned up at all defensively. They were all over the place. They lost the midfield battle. Their strikers weren't very effective. I mean, it was a real off day for Valencia. As much as Hitafi are known for their strong defence and their clinical strikers, I thought it was their midfield that won this game. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. I mean... You look at the two sides and Hatafe really stood out in midfield. I mean, even Alan Yom, he's not really a wide midfielder, but he did the role quite well. He offered some real solidity defensively and he wasn't too bad going forward. I mean, the Hatafe fans may like to laugh about it and look at Neom running down the wing, doing step overs and trying to put crosses into the box. But he did a good job. And then you've got Marco Correa on the other flank. And again, really exciting. Lots of energy, lots of pressing. And then Aaron Barry and Maximovic in the middle, who had some real steel. And, and they really won that battle against Condogbi and Parejo with Carlos Soleri even coming into the middle and trying to make life difficult, trying to make it a um, three versus two matchup in the middle. But it just didn't happen for Valencia. I mean, it kind of represented how their play was throughout. They were disjointed. They couldn't quite string a few passes together. They were just 
really disappointing and that was definitely where Hetafe won the tie and then you look to the strikers as well and you saw Jorge Molina and Jaime Mata who were both quite clinical in the second half they made some good runs some good movement and for Valencia their front two of Rodrigo and Maxi Gomez it's hard to pick out a single moment where they contributed anything not much service for them and that was down to the midfield but when Hetafe did have the service they made more of it and they were definitely the better team throughout and they have a lot to thank the midfield for for that this fixture has become quite a feisty one in the past year and there were a few brawls in this one too. How much of those clashes did you see? Yeah, it was a real feisty game. I mean, even early on in the first half, there were some real crunching tackles flying in and it was kind of one of those games where you can see it simmering and it's just waiting for something to happen, for everything to spill over. And there was a moment in the first half where the ball went out of play and Pepe Bordelas did want to give the ball back to Valencia and that caused a bit of a fracas, not too much. Then there was a moment where a Valencia player was down injured and had definitely want to kick the ball out and the Valencia players weren't very happy about that. And then it was late on in the second half where Jose Luis Gaia went down in the penalty box and made a real meal of it, really. And the Hetafe players weren't too happy about it and that kind of sparked off a bit of a brawl. Referee didn't seem to be too clued in as to what had exactly happened with all the pushing and shoving. He gave out one yellow card, but you'd like to think that on another day, another referee, that could have been quite a few yellow cards, maybe even a red for a few of them, but... You could definitely tell that there's a lot of tension between these two sides, even now after Marcelino's left and the Lazio's has come in. There's a lot of anger between these players, between the ones that faced up against each other last season in that Copa del Rey game. And it really has carried on into this season. It'll be interesting to see how it continues again next season. Moving on to Atletico versus Granada, it was a 1-0 Atleti win with a six-minute Angel Correa goal. It wasn't a convincing victory, but given that Atletico had so many injuries and given they hadn't won their past five, was this just a case of getting three points in whatever way possible? Yeah, that was definitely the sensation at the Wanda Metropolitano. There was quite a bit of hope early on, and then when you see Correa score so early on in the game, there was a lot of hope that, wow, this is going to be the game where, where Atletico do kick on, where we get the confidence back, where the teams start playing again, where they start converting all these chances that they've been having in recent weeks but then it kind of fizzled out and it was quite notable the fact that the the performance went gradually downhill I mean they really started off really well and that was the best that they played throughout the whole game and as the game went on that faded they didn't play quite so well and it was it was really interesting at the end the the final whistle went and obviously after a bit of a period of, of pressure from Granada and Atletico managed to to withstand it and then at the final whistle, the whole squad all came over to the ultras in the in the Fondo Sur, and they all headed over. They all joined in with the chanting and the the celebrations. Normally, a few come over and and they clap the fans and and then they wander off. But but the whole squad came over, and there was a real sense of unity, a sense of this win is really important. That we've got those points. That we've won that game and the, even with all of the issues and the fact that there's no real striker in the team that, that they managed to pick up the three points so maybe this will be a bit of a turning point for Atletico but it wasn't quite as convincing as many had hoped for but it was the three points which many were quite happy to take given the circumstances. Koki was back from injury for Atletico, how important was the return of the captain? Koki's return was really important for Atletico and 
the main thing that he did was give Simeone another option. There aren't too many of those in the Atletico squad at the moment. And I mean, you can imagine if Koke wasn't there at the weekend, you'd be thinking that it would have been Yannick Carrasco or Thomas Lamari would have come into the team and that would have changed things completely. I mean, Simeone lined up with the, the four central midfielders in the middle of the park and, and it was Koke who was kind of the leader there. And it's kind of a role that we've been expecting Saul to step up into while Koke has been out and he, he hasn't quite done that. And I think he was poor again on Saturday so it's really important to have Koke there and to kind of bring some consistency and, and some reliability to the middle of the park I mean Saul Thomas they've both been out of form of late and so to have Koke there just kind of keeping things ticking over was important and he didn't particularly stand out there weren't any brilliant moments from him but just having him there kind of gives a bit more confidence to the rest of the Atletico team I think the other game from Saturday was Real Valladolid versus Villarreal. Real Valladolid were better in the first half and they scored during that period through Ruben Alcaraz, but Villarreal were better after the break and they scored in the second half via Gerard Moreno. That made it 1-1 and that was the final scoreline in the game in which Hatton Ben Arfa made his La Liga debut. We'll be watching with great interest to see how he does for Real Valladolid over the coming weeks and months. Chips it towards the header, and there's the goal from Raúl Tomás. Who else for Espanyol? Four games, four goals to his name. He came with a mission when he was signed in the winter transfer window, and he's responding to perfection for the Budgies. 57th minute at the RCD. Absolutely no hint of offside. It's Espanyol one, Mallorca nil. That goal we just heard was from Raul de Thomas as he scored the only goal of the game in a huge relegation six-pointer between Espanyol and Real Mallorca. This was a team with the worst home record against a team with the worst away record, with Espanyol not having won a home league game before this weekend and with Mallorca not having won any of their away trips. So the logical outcome was for this to finish as a draw, I guess, but de Thomas said no way to that, scoring his fifth goal for Espanyol in his fifth appearance for the club he joined in January. Alex Fitzpatrick was there covering that game at the RCDE Stadium. Alex, I want to ask you about the goal because I felt that Espanyol scored against the run of play. I felt they scored just when Real Mallorca were looking their strongest. What did you think? What was the ebb and flow of this game like? Ebb and flow is a really good way to describe it, actually. I think um, the beginning of the game and the majority of the first half, really, Mallorca had more of the ball, um, didn't really create too much. A couple of small chances. Ante Budimir with a shot that was uh, goal bound and deflected wide. And of course, the a couple of times Lumo got to the to the byline and uh, the penalty that was awarded and then um, was ruled out by VAR in similar circumstances to last time. But. Espanyol always looked dangerous on the break and what they were doing is they were pressing very, very hard, pressing Mallorca and winning the ball in dangerous situations and then breaking quickly and that's exactly what happened when RDT got his goal. Um, following RDT's goal, I felt that uh, actually if anyone was going to was gonna score, I, I felt that Espanyol might get a second one. Again, Mallorca trying with the ball, Espanyol pressing hard, winning it back, and then there was just lots of gaps because Mallorca were pushing forward a lot more. They managed to hold on and not concede a second. A uh, couple of good saves by Manolo Reina, and then almost at the death, Ante Budimir um, with a header that just went wide of the post, almost snatching a point at the end. 
But yeah, in terms of the ebb and flow, I felt uh, one of Mallorca's better performances away from home, but without looking too dangerous in the final third. And the big difference between those two sides really was the quality of individuals on show. Of course, it was De Thomas who got the goal. What did you think seeing him in the flesh? What is it that he provides to Espanyol? Is it just goals or is it something more? Well, De Thomas was quality, yeah. RDT, he was, he was fantastic throughout. You could see the quality that he had in the final third. Yes, you're right, he's a goal scorer. He's getting good positions. He's obviously got an instinct and he's a, he's a good finisher. Um, but it's about more than finishing. As I say, positioning is key. So on one or two occasions, he was on the opposite side of the uh, on, of the pitch from, from where the attack was taking place. But he got himself in a position whereby he was in the game. And if there was a save or if there was a deflection, it would fall to him. Alex, what are your thoughts on Mallorca's performances in the head-to-head matches with relegation rivals. They've beaten Real Madrid and Valencia, but it hasn't been too great versus the other teams down at the bottom. Without a doubt, Mallorca's performances in the head-to-head matches with relegation rivals have been incredibly disappointing. This weekend's against Espanyol. I wouldn't say the performance was disappointing, but certainly the results. Uh, Last weekend was hugely disappointing. Real Valladolid managed to hold Mallorca well at arm's length and uh, Mallorca went out almost without a whimper in that game. They've also lost against uh, Leganes away from home. That was early in the season. They've they've drawn at Celta Vigo. That that was a a poor performance. They went uh, 2-1 down and down to 10 men and and managed to get it back through an Ante Budimir goal. Uh, But it was a poor performance that particular game so yeah the teams in and around where they are they obviously those points count double whatever you can take from those games you you stopping the opposition from picking up any points um and Mallorca have performed poorly in those thanks Alex there's one match left to speak about from the weekend and it was another potentially huge one in the relegation battle Alex just spoke about Celta Vigo and they earned a huge victory this weekend when they hosted Sevilla Yusuf and Nezri put Sevilla in front but Celta Vigo pulled off a comeback that was reminiscent of their dramatic and epic comebacks last spring. Iago Aspas got one of the goals and then Pioni Sisto scored a 90th minute winner for a 2-1 victory. That could prove to be absolutely huge in the battle at the bottom and for now at least it's moved Celta Vigo out of the relegation zone. They're on 20 points while it could not be tighter in the bottom three as Real Mallorca, Leganes and Espanyol are all on 18 points. That brings us to the end of this Matchday 23 recap podcast. My thanks go out to all of today's contributors, to Dan Barry, to Emily Wilson, to Roman de Arcare, to Sam Leverage and to Alex Fitzpatrick. I've been your host, Drew McTeer, and I thank you very much for listening.